This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. But I really want to start off with a um, little bit of a different, a little bit of a different subject. So, I had the schutz yesterday being invited to a 11th grade barbecue girls class um, in Seagate. See, you didn't know that Wallace goes to barbecues, you know. And you just invite me; I'm there. And um, so I went to speak to this 11th grade, and I was totally unprepared for a change. And I didn't know what I'm going to tell 11th grade girls at a barbecue. It's like, you know, it's not really my precedence of the way I speak. But I said, Akersbach, you'll help me, you know. And I didn't, I didn't, I was going to Seagate, but I don't know where I was going to Seagate. Anyway, some of the girls are here tonight. So I, um, I come to the barbecue. I come to the back. Of course, they finished the barbecue already. There was nothing left for me. And um, they offered me some ices. All right. And there I am on a porch. I'm at a porch on the ocean. The porch is on the beach, and right there is the ocean. So it's one of these houses in Seagate that's backing the ocean. And I take one look at the ocean, and I'm like, why do you need me to say anything? I mean, if you look at an ocean, you, you see the hand of Hashem. And just sit here and watch the ocean. And there's nothing I could say that is, you know, is going gonna, is gonna to make more... Is going to make a point better than just watching the ocean, understanding that there's a Hashem. But they didn't go for that. They said, no, Watson, you have to say a few words. I said, a few words I never say. <laughs> so there's a couple of things that I, because, um, you know, I'm a little bit out of the box. I like to think about things. And I'm not supposed to agree with that. And I have sat by the ocean. No, not a mixed beach. Private beach. And I've thought many thoughts looking at the ocean. And I heard some stuff, some, some really beautiful words that were said over from a very big tzaddik regarding the ocean. And I'd, I'd like to share that with you, and I, I, sh- I shared it with them. So, if you watch the ocean, you'll see that the waves continuously, continuously come onto the beach and get pushed back. Come onto the beach and get pushed back. Now, I'm thinking to myself, like, why doesn't the wave that's getting pushed back tell the waves that are coming, you're wasting your time, guys? Because you're just going to get to the beach and it's just going to push you back. So, like, they're very silly. That for 5,768 years, this ocean keeps trying to get onto the land. It's not working, you know. It takes time sometimes for some of us to get, you know, get where it's at. But 5,768, that's a long time. So what's really going on here? So it's brought down that when Hashem created the world, so the world was totally water. The world was totally water. On the third day, Hashem took the, in other words, wasn't totally water. The ocean was totally covering the world. The, the water was on top of the land. That's how the world was. And it says, Hashem was, it was earth, water on the earth, Hashem on the water. What Hashem did on the third day is He separated the water and the land. So what He did is He pushed this water into an enclosed area. And where we live on dry land, and then you have the Atlantic Ocean. Thank you. A whole set. It's the best we can do. Okay. Just, just give me voracious. See, so you ask for one, you get five. Baruch Hashem. Okay. What? Tanakh. Okay. So, so on the third day, he separated the water and the land, but the water was always on top of the land. So till Mashiach comes, maybe even after Mashiach. The water is trying to come back to where it was originally. And the water is always trying to drown the world. 
If the beach wasn't there, we'd all be underwater. And it will keep trying to drown the world because its original source that it was, it covered all the ground. And it wants to cover all the ground again. What did Hashem do? Hashem created a beach, created this part of sand and this part of the land that, that's across the ocean. And every time the water tries to come up, the water gets pushed back. So there's really two very important lessons to learn because everything Hashem does in this world, girls, is for us to learn. There's, there's a reason that we have waves. It's not Stam that Hashem decided, you know, like a bathtub, let's make a little wave, let's see what's happening, you know, and the boats need waves. You know, the waves are good sometimes, and the waves are no good sometimes. When you're going against the waves, it's very hard to move. So the actual ocean always wants to take over the earth. So I think I learned something very important from that, because it never gives up. And it keeps pushing, and it keeps pushing, and it keeps pushing back, and it tries again, and it tries again, and I was trying to figure out how long it takes that wave that came to the beach that gets pushed back, how long does it take for it to come back to the beach? We didn't, we, me and the girls yesterday, we could not figure that out. Maybe there's a scientific method to figure out, you know, how long it takes for that wave to come back, but they keep trying, they keep trying. So, I think it's a lesson for us that even though they get, they keep getting pushed back, it doesn't stop them from trying. And everybody in life, you know, you try once, you try to change, you try a little bit, and you get pushed back, and you get pushed back, and then after a while you just give up. But if you stand by the ocean and you keep watching these waves, they're trying and they're trying and they're trying and they never give up. That's how a person has to be. You have to keep trying, you have to keep trying and you can never give up. You have to be like the waves. You have to be like you were original. That the neshama, the original neshama that Adam, and I want to get into it because it's like Kabbalah stuff, but the original neshama before the Avera was one big neshama. And after the Avera, it splintered into 600,000 parts, or whatever, whatever, how many parts. And there's different neshamas. There's a neshama that's from the leg of Adam, from the heart of Adam, and depending on the level of the person, that's the, you know, the part of the neshama that he comes from. And, and Mashiach will come, all the neshamas, the Gemara says there has to be a certain amount of neshamas that have to come into the world. Why? Because all these neshamas make up the one body of Adam. When Mashiach comes, we're all going to become like one body. Whatever that means exactly, I don't understand. But we're going to go into our original form. So the neshama is always trying to get to go back to its original form. Its original form is uh, where it's coming from Shemayim. It's Kaddish, Kaddish, Kaddish. So it keeps trying, it keeps trying. The problem is that the person we're going to talk a little bit about subject tonight that's very delicate, delicate, and some people said I shouldn't talk about it, but I spoke about it by the boys last night. I think I should talk about it, and that's eating disorders, which is a subject that I found preparing this year. Actually, Rabbi Skaist spoke this past Shabbos in Tavi um, from the Lukute Maharan which is uh, Rav Nachman Breslov, and he answered a question that I've been asking many tzaddikim, and I, I hope to get to it at the end of the show. We'll see if we'll be able to get to it. If not, Mishem, next week. But what I learned from this beach is that the ocean keeps trying. Now, as a kid, I wasn't so smart, and when I went to Florida with my parents, and I was very into building, and I liked to build castles on the ocean, and my favorite thing was building tunnels. You know, seven different tunnels goes into one thing. You put your hand through, it comes out the other side, you get all excited, right? So I was into doing that, but I was very silly. Why? Because where did I build these tunnels in this castle? Right by the ocean, right where the sand is wet. Now, anyone who ever built a castle knows that when that one wave comes in there, right, it takes away half your castle, and the second wave takes away your whole castle. So what I did, after years of trying to figure this out... Um, 
I learned to take my pail of water, bring it away from the, the ocean, and build my castle on the dry sand, and then the ocean couldn't get it. Sort of a little boring, because it just sits there and doesn't get destroyed. But we understand that the water that keeps coming is another lesson, that it keeps coming, it keeps coming. Even this castle that you built that you worked so hard can be destroyed. So another lesson that I learned from it is that you can't build when the water keeps hitting and hitting and hitting, even not a castle, even a house. You can't build it so close to the ocean. And sort of I was looking at the ocean as the Yetzirah, in that if you're very close to the ocean and the Yetzirah keeps hitting you and keeps hitting you and keeps hitting you, you're going to end up like my castle. And not only that, at the at, with I would say about eight waves or nine waves, you'll never know that there was a castle there ever. It's totally flat. So you have to move away from that. It's hard, it keeps hitting you, and you keep having situations, and you keep, uh, I know I don't, people don't like I talk so much about the internet. Oh, I'm going to tell you a crazy story. Um, I don't, you don't like it, but if you keep going on the internet, you keep going on the internet, you keep going on the internet, it's going gonna, it's gonna to take you down. So you got to move back, you got to move away from it. And I'll tell you a story with the internet this week. So I had a meeting with my staff, and we had to make a very big decision. We have... Mitzvah um, Shem every month is Shabbos. We have we're going to have Kaimisha Lanes for the girls, and whoever wants to come to Kaimisha Lanes, it's free, like Ornava, free pizza and free bowling, and it's from eleven o'clock till four o'clock in the morning. And we we did a lot of advertising. A lot of people know about it, but there are a lot of people who don't know about it. So we had a meeting. What happened? Okay, so we had a meeting, and my favorite subject, which is Facebook. So the question that was that I was approached with was there are a lot of girls on Facebook that don't know about the Kayamisha bowling. So we won't do it as an Ornava thing, because we're all seen as anti-Facebook, but what we should do is maybe send out a message just on Facebook that there is such a place, a healthy place for girls to go, Mutzi Shops. And I thought about it, and I said, that can't hurt. Even though I, I talk bad about Facebook, but so the girls who are off won't see it. And the girls who are on, maybe it'll help them change. So I made the decision yesterday, call a kavod, if you have to send that on Facebook, I don't know, send an email, I don't know exactly how it works, but whatever you have to send out, if it's going to reach girls that it won't reach otherwise, you have my haskama, you could do it. That was my decision. And I went home and I thought about it, and I said, I don't know if I made the right decision, but the truth is that these girls will never know about it. They don't read the Jewish press. They don't read the Hamodiah. And they don't read the Yated. So the only way they're ever going to find out that this exists is by sending this message through Facebook. Fine. So I was comfortable with it last night. I doubt my I said, I think I did the right thing. Hashem, if I didn't do the right thing, let me know. Now it's a little bit chutzpah to, you know, like, you know, I'm, your, I'm like buddies with you. Let me know. Like, but okay. At 2 o'clock today, I got a text message from a girl in Ornava. Rabbi Wallerstein, do you know you're on Facebook? No, no, not, nothing to do with the announcement. I don't think we sent it out, whatever. Do you know you're on Facebook? Somebody blogged you and wrote a very nasty um, blog, I guess, that a girl has no right to repeat. It's very funny. A girl has no right to repeat Rabbi Wallerstein's shiur. I mean, she had a picture of a whole family sleeping at the table on Shabbos while the father was saying over one of my stories. And no, but she, she wrote it in a, sort of in a nice way, I guess, because she said, you're not Rabbi Wallerstein, and you can't tell stories like he does. So any girl that wants to tell stories on her, girls have to stop telling his stories on dates, at the Shabbos table. 
It was whatever this face. Now, I don't know anything about Facebook. So this girl sent me a text like, you know, it's not nice what that girl wrote about you. So I went to my girls and I said, I want to see what she wrote about me. So could you put it up? Could you put it up? I want to read what this blog. I want to read the blog. And Hashem works in very interesting ways. So they put it up on the screen. And there was, the, there was Robert Wallstein with this cartoon of people sleeping at the table. Very funny. I, I have no problem with that, right? And next to Robert Wallstein, on the left-hand side, was a picture of a girl, almost not dressed at all, for an advertisement for losing weight. Oh. Yeah. oh. Okay. Anyway, so I said, that's really not good that right next to my blog, right? So, so after I walked out, I didn't really tell this to anybody, but I'm telling it to you. I thought to myself, why did this happen today? This blog is on there since April. Why did this girl send me a text message today? that got me to go look at what she put on Facebook because I really started to believe that it's, you know, people are giving me a very hard time that maybe I'm wrong. That, you know, it's a good, it's not such a bad place if you only go to the right places. Today I saw that you can go to the right place, a blog about Robert Wallerstein. And the picture next to it was Mamish, the most disgusting picture that if Chatzashon the boy would go to see that blog, and, and there's a click onto that picture to go further. So what I got from that was that Wallerstein, it's a bad place, and don't change your mind about it. And I just found it very fascinating that I got that text from that girl today and ended up going to see that blog or whatever it was today after I asked Hashem last night, I'm not sure if I'm doing the right thing. So I stand by my position that it's a bad place and nobody belongs on it. Because even in the most kosher, Hashem showed me, the most kosher thing, I'm going to see what a girl wrote about Wallerstein. What, what, what could you see already in such a blog? I didn't know that on Facebook that when you go somewhere, there's an advertisement. And of course, it was a not sneezing advertisement, totally, that I didn't even have a right to look at my own blog. So I, I'm not stupid. You know, I'm not, I'm not a wave. I don't have to go that many times to find out. And I got the message, and therefore I am publicly saying again tonight that it's a bad place, and it's getting worse. And I'm telling you a story that happened to me today. Very innocent story where I went to a very innocent place. And therefore I stand by my position that it's not a place that a Jewish girl should be on. Now you'll tell me I can't contact my friends and I can't find my seminary friends. Find a different way. There's got to be a different way. And the internet's the same thing. I got a phone call today from the kosher net, and he said to me, Robert Wallstein, why don't you talk to the girls and boys? There's a kosher net. You can be on the internet, and you can be protected from all the bad things. And he left me a very nasty message today. And he said, I don't understand you, Robert Wallstein. I called you three times, and you didn't call back. Well, hello. Okay, but anyway. But I left you three times a message, and you, you didn't call me back. And you don't understand that there are many people on the internet. They can be on the internet, but sell them kosher net. It's very expensive. So, I mean, I don't know if it's very expensive, but it's expensive. So, maybe I'll talk to him about, you know, somehow subsidizing someone should do something. But it's just a very bad place. 
and, and Akash Bokhu showed it to me today, so I just wanted to share that with you. Totally off the subject. Anyway, getting back onto the subject, so, you know, something else I learned from the beach. The, the sand that stops the water from coming up, if you ever put it through your hands, you will see that they're very, very minute little grains of sand. Now, all these grains of sand together protect us from the ocean. But every grain of sand alone does absolutely nothing. And therefore, we have to understand as Jewish people that each one of us thinks, eh, what am I? I'm not going to change the world. I'm going to bring Mashiach. But if you look at yourself as part of a beach, part of all those grains of sand that make up a beach, that is holding the waters, holding the tumah and the mashchis and the, and the satan, who is continuously trying to take over the world. And the Jewish nation, we are the beach. We are the nation that's holding back this water. Then every single grain is part of that beach. And if every single grain would say, I'm not important, then New York would be underwater and the whole world would be underwater. So we, looking at, just looking at an ocean, there is so much to learn. Just looking at, without Svarim even, just looking at Hashem's world. And then I did one more thing with them. So we're sitting with Sunny. I say, girls, take your hands and put it in front of your face and cover the sun. And he said, what do you mean cover? I said, cover the sun. There's a clock in the back. There's an exit sign. Any girl turns around, puts your hand. You can block the exit sign and you can block the clock and you can block the two doors. Now, how's that possible? My hand is four inches wide and maybe six inches long. That clock is two feet by two feet. That, those doors are four feet by four feet. You look up at the sun. You go out, go out tonight, look at the moon. You put your hand up, you cover the moon. Tomorrow, put your hand up on the sun, you cover the sun. How is it possible that a four-inch hand can cover the sun? But it can. And if you were to tell this to a child to do, he would really believe he can cover the sun because when he puts his hand up, there's no sun there. It's a very important lesson. Now, just sitting on that porch, just sitting on that porch, looking at an ocean and looking at the sun. Now, we know the sun is, I don't know exactly, I'm not a science teacher, but I remember, no, how many feet of course, diameter? 865,000 miles? 865,000 miles, that's all I need to know. Okay, the diameter of the sun is 865,000 miles. And you can walk out tomorrow, put your hand up, and cover the whole thing. How's that possible? Anyone ever think about that in this room? Got to get out more. <laughs> and the answer is that the further away you go from the object, the smaller the object becomes to you. The object doesn't change. The clock doesn't change. The sun doesn't change. But to you, the further away you go from the object, the smaller the object becomes to you, it doesn't change its size at all. Hashem is the same thing. The further you move away from God, the smaller God becomes to you. Not the smaller God becomes. And you are able to cover Hashem with very minuscule, minute little things. With the taiva of the world, the things that you enjoy in the world, you're able to cover the whole Hashem. There is no Hashem. I don't know any Hashem. What do you mean no Hashem? Hashem is huge! Yeah, but I'm so far away from Hashem, 
that my finger can cover him. So I told the girl that was sitting there, the closer you get to the sun, the smaller you become. The closer you get to the object, the smaller you become. So therefore, when it says that Moshe Rabbeinu was the biggest, most modest, the biggest Anav ever, was only because he was the closest person to God. So as a person moves towards Hashem, he becomes an Anav. And that's why it says that the, one of the things Hashem hates is the Balgaiva. It's a big shot. Why? Because the big shots, right... He makes himself big. How does he make himself big in comparison to Hashem? He has to move far away from Hashem. Something that I said much in Shabbos, I said it to the boys last night, and then I'll, I'll talk on the other subject, try to get to the parsha a little bit. There's a lot of kids that are rebelling. A lot of kids rebelling, smoking on Shabbos, girls getting dressed not the way they're supposed to, screaming at their parents, doing things that are totally out of hand. And a lot of it comes from, I'm going to teach God a lesson. He wasn't good to me. He didn't give me what I want. I'm going to teach him a lesson. He doesn't mean anything to me in my life. And there are kids that I talk to, they're like, oh, smoking on shops, like, so Rabbi, no lightning came out and, sh- and killed me. Yeah, what's with your God? You know, I thought Mechal Shabbos, you know, lightning's going to come out. I'm like, eh, you didn't learn. First of all, the Misa for, for being Mechal Shabbos is not lightning coming out, number one. Number two, there's no Edom and Asra. So, and Hashem has pity on you. You know, relax. If you really want lightning to come out, you know, uh, you pray for it a little bit. But So this defiance of, I dropped God. I dropped God. I showed Him. I showed all of my rabbis. I showed all my teachers. I showed my parents. I can flick a light on Shabbos. I can go out with boys. I can do whatever I want. I showed you all. I heard an amazing, amazing marshal from Rabbi Abragamov. And he told me the following. I forgot who he said it from, but it's amazing. He said, there was this gorgeous, gorgeous, gorgeous girl. Sorry. There was this gorgeous, gorgeous, it wasn't a guy, but this gorgeous girl that lived in Eretz Yisrael. And everybody talked about her. Like all the guys, like she's the most beautiful. Anyone who gets a date with her is the luckiest guy in the world. There's this one big shot guy. It's like, I'm lucky if I get, she's lucky if she gets a date with me. You know, he was one of those guys. Anyway, so the shotgun read the shit of this guy with this beautiful girl. And she heard about him. She checked him out. That he's about Gaiva, he's a big shot, he's stingy, he mistreats people. She really didn't like what she heard, but she had to go out because if she didn't go out, she's gonna get a name that she thinks a lot of herself, that she's so beautiful, that she's not going out with anybody. So the shot she had this shotkin was her shotkin, and she had to go out, she knew she had to go out, but she really didn't want this guy to like her, and she really didn't want to have anything to do with him. So what did she do? She went home, she messed up her hair like you never saw. She put on a dress that was uglier than anything you saw. She put on shoes that didn't match. She, she put on mascara and stuff like, like she looked like someone gave her two black eyes. I mean, she just made herself down. Instead of making herself up, she made herself down. And she, she goes on this date. And of course he comes to the door. He's like, yeah, let's see this gorgeous girl. Yeah, 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 let's see, you know. And he opens the door. He's like, <laughs> Is your sister home? Like, you know, 
And she goes, no, my, I'm, I'm the one you're going out with, whatever it is. And he's like, he, do, he doesn't, doesn't understand, right? And, and she gets into the car, and she's coughing, and she's blowing her nose, and, and <laughs> spitting on the floor a little bit. He's like, I'm taking this girl home. That's, you know, whatever. Anyway, he takes her home, drops her off. Listen carefully. It's amazing, amazing, amazing. I told it to a Rebbe tonight, a guy who deals with kids at risk. I said, you have to tell this, this story to these kids. And he drops her off, gets back into his car, goes back to his friends, says, are you guys crazy? I called the shops in already. I dropped her like a hot potato. I'm never going out with her again. I dropped her like a hot potato. Lip. Like, psst, you know, out of here. Guys don't talk like that. It's just a story. Don't get nervous. <laughs> well, some guys. But anyway, so he's walking around with his head up. I dropped this girl. You don't know who I am. I got to go out with this. And meanwhile, if you really look at this story, who dropped who? She dropped him before she even went out with him. He didn't drop her. She dropped him before he even went out with her. Because she found out that this is not a kind of guy that I want to go out with, that I want to be married to. So she went ahead and she made herself so ugly that he wouldn't see her beauty and that he would never want to go out with her and that's exactly what she wanted. So who dropped who? He's walking around. I dropped her. Not knowing you fool. You dropped nothing. You went out with the most gorgeous girl in the world. And she went, after what she heard about you, she dropped you before she even dated you. Says, said Reuven to me, Abragamov. He said, the person who said this, Marshall, he says, the people who walk around and say, God, I dropped God. Who needs Torah? Who needs God? Who needs to be a Jew? I'm going to smoke on Shabbos. I'm going to hang out. I'm going to chill. I'm going to go to clubs. I dropped God. Wrong. God dropped you. What does it mean, God dropped you? God doesn't drop anyone? Yeah. You're about gaiva. You're a big shot. You have no midos. The Shekhinah doesn't want to be with you. So the Shekhinah is going to hide. Nistar. It's going to hide. Hashem's not going to show you his beauty. You're not going to sit at a beach and see his beauty. You're not going to look at the stars and see his beauty. You're not going to look at a flower and see his beauty. You're not going to look at yourself. You're not going to look at a Torah. You're not going to see anything. You know why? Because Kodesh Baruch Hu doesn't want to date you. He doesn't want to be with you. Because of your midos, because of you're a miserable person, he doesn't, the Shekhinah doesn't want to be with you. So that's very scary. So when the kid says, I'm rebelling, man. I don't need this Jew stuff. I don't need God. Never on you. You think you're dropping God? No. Hashem dropped you. He doesn't want you to see who he is because of the way you act. Maybe start acting like a mensch and you'll see what she really looks like. What a fool this guy, imagine. I'm going to take it a step further than he took it, than Ruben took it. Could you imagine this guy who's walking around town? I dropped her. Yeah. And then, two months later, his friend marries her, and he comes to the wedding, and there's this most gorgeous, gorgeous girl. And he's like, whoa, who is that? And they're like, that's the one you went out with. He would feel like an absolute idiot. 
Are you kidding me? I could have married her? When a person at 120 years leaves the world, the Gemara says that you see the Shekhinah, the real Shekhinah. And you realize, who's that? Who's that? I never saw the Shekhinah before. And Hashem says, you really? You saw a tree, you saw a flower, you saw fruit, you saw colors, you saw my world, you saw the Torah, you saw a rabbi, you saw a tzaddik, you saw a rabbitson, you saw a child get born, you saw two people get married. That was me. That's all me. And you sit and you say, my whole life, I'm walking around saying, yeah, I showed him. And now you sit and you say, oh my goodness, look what I, look what I let go out of my hands. What a muscle. What an amazing muscle. It's a life-changing muscle. You think that you trap God? You don't see God because he doesn't want you to see him. Because you don't deserve to see him. So you, if you're smart, so I, want, I asked a question in my mind and I said, what happens if this guy was really good and he looked at this girl and he said, nah, you can't fool me. Yeah, you wear your hair like that in two different shoes and that kind of makeup, you're hiding something. Well, you're hiding something. Why aren't you wearing two shoes that are the same color? Why is your makeup like that? Why does your hair look like that? And, and girls don't spit. <laughs> At least Jewish girls don't spit. <laughs> so like, something's going on here. So if he's able to look at her features and see that there's really beauty here, it's just being hidden. And he says, I want to go out with you again. And she goes, what? What do you mean you want to go out with me again? I want to go out with you again, but, 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 uh-huh, uh-huh. And then she blows her nose again, you know, uh-huh. That girl will go out with him again. Because if he can see past all of that and see her true beauty, then he's not a bad guy. So a person who, even though Hashem is Nistar in our generation, Hashem is hidden but a person who was able to find him in the flowers and in the trees. And we were sitting on the porch and there was a wind. And I said to the girls, New Year, 11th graders, where does the wind come from? Where does the wind come from? Is there some malachim going like this? Where does wind come from? Why is it windy here and not windy there? What's going on? Where does ruach come from? Where does ish come from? I said to them, every human body is made from the ocean. There's a lot of Kabbalah on this, but we're all... We're all part ocean, mostly ocean. 90% of the human being is water. When you cry, it's salt water, which represents the ocean. And the other water in our body, the saliva in your mouth doesn't have salt, represents the lakes. The human body is a world. And the ash, the the fire in the human body is what keeps you at 98.6. And the ruach is the breathing. And the adama, the the fourth one, is your skin and your flesh, which becomes dust. So the, each person that's in this room is a world. Each person in this room is a world, exactly like the world. There's oceans, and there's land, and there's blue skies, and there's white clouds, and a person's eye alone. The Kabbalah says that a person's eye alone, the four colors of the eye, represents Yudke, Vavke. There's Hashem all over us. All over us. There are gates, there are Sha'arim, just like there are Sha'arim and Shemayim. Zaya talks about it. We are, each person here is a world. So if you're able to be in this world, and even though after the base Hamikdash, Hashem is hidden, He's hidden. Because we're ugly. 
Because we don't deserve it. Because we do all kinds of Averis and the Beit HaMidrash was destroyed. And once the Beit HaMidrash was destroyed, Hashem didn't leave. He's still on a date with us. He didn't leave. But he didn't put on his makeup anymore. And he didn't do his hair. There's no more Beit HaMidrash for us to go look and say, Wow! The Anon is above it. The gold, the Kohanim. Whoever saw the Kohen Gadol, the rays and what a Kohen Gadol looks like. Mare Kohen, we say in Yom Kippur. We don't, have, we don't see that anymore. He went into hiding. We don't see him anymore. But if we are able, through learning Torah, through doing the right thing, we are able to see him through the dishevelment of the hair and everything else that he's doing in the world to hide the hurricanes and all the other stuff. And we're able to say, yeah, Hashem, I know you're there. <laughs> you can't fool me. It's because you made a hurricane and a tornado and now the, the economy is miserable. And because my grandmother died when she was young and all these other bad things that happened to me, you're hiding. I know, I, I know the features of a God. Then HaKadosh Baruch Hu will, will change and sort of say, he doesn't wear makeup, but he will become Nigla. And that, that's, that's what he's waiting for, for Mashiach. He's waiting for us to see through the Nistar. To see through the hidden. And how do you see through the hidden? Not by being on your cell phone. I'm sorry. I told those girls... Half an hour sitting by an ocean and you see Hashem. But if you're sitting by the ocean and you're looking at your blackberry, your blueberry, and your raspberry the whole time, and that's what you're busy with, then you talk and don't see Hashem. So you know what the Sultan did? That's what he did. He made sure that we don't see Hashem anymore. We don't see people, we don't see, we don't see the sun, we don't see the beach, we don't see the sand, we don't see food, we don't see anything anymore. We see those silly little digits on a little silly box. That's all we see. Text message. Some girl told me, I don't know, somebody just told me, a girl got a message from Verizon. She's the winner. 480,000 text messages, something like that. What a loser. What a loser. Pick up the phone and talk to the other person. What happened to that? Talk to the other person. How do you know from a text message the person's happy, the person's needy? You don't know. You see cold letters. You see cold letters. So what the Satan is doing, he is taking away our ability to see the features of Hashem. And all we see is the ugliness in the world. Is the tragedy in the world. We don't see the features anymore. We're not able to say, I know you're behind that. I know that you're really there. The cell phone is the king of hiding Hashem. Yes, you need it, whatever it is, for a phone call, for this. But to sit all day and text and text and text and text and text. You're destroyed. You have no connection. There's no features. No, people sit there, of course, with husband and wife. So what's for supper? What do you like? I don't know. How about pizza? I don't think so. Sitting at the same table, the kids are like, they're not talking to each other. They're all texting. Then the kids say, but what did you want, Dad? And you have like five people sitting around the table. Everyone's texting everybody. That's what it's going to be in 10 years from now. No one's allowed to talk. Not allowed to talk. Somebody said to me, maybe it's a good thing. You want to hear, you want to hear like a, a svara. I'll tell you a svara. It says in Kabbalah that every person has a certain amount of words that you're allowed to say while you're alive. So this guy said to me, Rebbe, if everybody texts, everyone's going to live much longer because you're not saying any words. <laughs> so texting is good. Because if you don't talk, you're not using any words. I said, yeah, well, you don't know. And in Shemayim, they changed it. It's no longer how many words you get to say, it's how many text messages you get to say. <laughs> then you're in big trouble. 
We have to see the secrets. We have to see the profile of God. To see the profile of God is to look into his Bria. Look at all the things that he gave us. And not to be at a point where Hashem says, this, this person I don't want to be with, this person I want to hide from. The Shekhinah wants Tznius. The, the, the Shekhinah wants girls who talk correctly. The Shekhinah wants to get close to, to people who deserve to date the Shekhinah. And therefore, we have to understand, we don't have to wait till after 120 years to see the Shekhinah. You can see the Shekhinah every day when you get out of your car, you get out of your, your house and you look up at the sky. It's full of the Shekhinah. Clouds and, and blue and white and the sun and the plants and the flowers. Shekhinah is all over the place. Okay. I think I'm going to leave my, um, my speech on eating for next week because it's a pretty long one. My, my question was very simple. Um, it's a little bit more by girls than by boys. But the, the whole thing of eating disorders, everything, everything is based, any, any disease, anything that's wrong in a person's body is based on the Shama. And in the times of the Zayar, you didn't go to a doctor. In the times of the Ariyah Kodesh, you didn't go to a doctor. If your foot hurt you, you went to the him, you told him which toe hurts you. There's 613 parts to a human being. There's 613 mitzvahs. Every part of the human being is connected to a mitzvah. If your toe was, let's say, connected to kibbutz of the aim, whatever it was, so the, the, the Ariyah Kodesh would say, fix your kibbutz of aim, and the pain would go away. It was amazing. So, the, the, the ailment in the, in the body comes after the ailment in the neshama. So when there's something wrong in the neshama, it comes out in the body. Fix the neshama, fix the body. So I know there have been books written on anorexia and bulimia and, and, and eating disorders, and there have been a lot of svaras, but I never got a svara of the, the disease is not eating, but, but it first is, is something wrong in the neshama. So what's wrong in the neshama that leads to the not eating? And I went to very big tzaddikim and said, if we could figure out what's going on in the neshama and fix that, then the, 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 the disorder will go away. And I went to a lot of people, a lot of very big people, because I really want to help fix this situation. And Rabbi Skase got up, Shmuel Skase, this past Shabbos, and I guess I will talk about it. And he quoted a Lakute Maharan, which is Rav Nachman Rebreslov. And the Lakute Maharan said, that a human being was created to have pain every day. What does that mean? Yeah, thank you very much, right? Um, that pain leads to connecting to Hashem. There is more tefillah over a toilet bowl than in shul. What do I mean? When people throw up, and they're sick and they're nauseous and they're throwing up, they're promising God... If this stops, if you take this away from me, I promise I will eat cholesterol, I will, I will check out all the food I eat. And, you know, it's called praying to the uh, ivory toilet, whatever it is. There's a whole book written on it. When a person's in pain, he does tshuva. When a person's in, having a good time, it's, you know, it's not a connection most of the time to Hashem. Then you have to think about it. But when you're in pain, it's right away, help me Hashem, Hashem help me, you know, help me, I'll do anything, whatever you want. I've been there. I've been there many times. Kidney stones, I'm like Hashem, whatever you want. Whatever you want, want me to fast, whatever you want, just get the stone, get it out, right? We dive into Hashem when we're in pain. So he was trying to say that it doesn't have to be a lot of pain, but a little bit of pain, and that, you know, like Hashem, stop, come on, get, you know, it hurts, come on, Hashem. Yeah. So there's, there's a certain connection through pain. The Gemara says 30 days without pain, you have to do tshuva. Because there's a disconnection from Hashem. If you go 30 days, no pain, there's something wrong. So the Gemara says, what's pain? You put your hand in to get a quarter, it comes out with a nickel, that's considered pain. Okay, we can handle that. 
You know, you drop, you take out your purse, it falls to the floor, you have to pick it up. We can handle that. Then, then Lukutimaran said something that was, I didn't understand. And what he said was that Hashem created food, Hashem created food to help with that pain. That's what the Lukutimaran said. Now Rabbi Skaist translated when he spoke, and he said like this. Because Hashem created food, and you have all these delicious things to eat, so that gives you the realization that Hashem loves you. If you, you know you're loved by someone, and that person is causing you a little pain, you accept it. Because you understand that if that person gives me an apple and an orange and watermelon and salad and all the other good things like you know, Greek salad, Caesar salad, and all these other salads and all these tasty things. If, if, if Hashem gives me that, that means He loves me, then if He gives me pain, it must be good for me. It's the same thing it talks about in, in, in the Rambam in his Hilchas of teaching. He says, hug him with one hand, hit him with the other. But He says, hug him first. If you hug him and you love them, then when they deserve a patch, give them a patch. But if you give them a patch, and then you hug them, that don't work. He's 100% right. If you know somebody loves you, and then they criticize you, you know it's coming from the right place. But if the person's always criticizing you and never loving you, you don't want to hear about it. So his translation to Lukute Maharan was that if Hashem gives you food and all these goodies, then you know He loves you, and therefore you can handle the pain. My head went in a totally different direction. And I went here, it came here last night to talk to Rabbi Skates about it. He said that maybe what, that maybe what, what, what Rabbi Nachman was saying here, and it's an amazing, it's an answer to my question. I want to say something totally different. I want to say that what Rabbi Nachman of Breslau was saying was something unbelievably amazing. A person has to have pain in order to be connected to Hashem on, on, a, on a small basis. What did Hashem do? He made a human being, not like a plant. Plant has photosynthesis, right? used to be a hard word for me to say with my list, but now I can say it, I'm working on it, right? So it's out there, it gets the sun and the chlorophyll, and then it goes up in the water, and, and it dries up, it comes down out to the ocean, back up, back up, right? And, the, and, and, the, and the, the plant has minerals from the ground and water, and he lives, and he just lives and grows, and the tree grows, and everything's fine. Human being, we have to eat. Why do you have to eat? Because you're hungry. So what the Lukute Maran in my head is saying, that Hashem gives us pain every day. What's that pain? Hunger. But He already created the medicine for that pain. Because the minute you're hungry, you eat. And the pain is gone. So, and what kind of medicine did He create? Did He create that white medicine that they give you for strep? Did you, right? Did He create that? No! Green apples, red apples, oranges, fruits, muffins, Yogurt, whatever you guys like. Granola, I don't know what you guys eat. Whatever, fiber one, fiber two, fiber three, whatever. I don't know if that works on the pain really, but whatever, if you ever tasted it. So, what the Lakute Maran was saying, you know how good God is? He gives you a pain, and He gives you a medicine for the pain that's much better than the pain, and it's right there. person has what to eat. He gives you a pain that you're thirsty, and He gives you right away... Ah, Coca-Cola, Diet Coke, whatever you, <laughs> Fresco, whatever it is, Diet Dr. Pepper, right? Whatever you're going to drink, juice, all these millions of tastes. Hot chocolate, cold chocolate, coffee, different coffees. If you, if you, if you just would go with your, with your, with your, go through a shop right, go through a shop right with a, with a pad. 
and write down all the different drinks that a person can buy. Thousands. Hashem gave us thousands of ways of getting rid of that pain. Forget about hundreds of thousands of ways of getting rid of that food pain. So now let's look at not eating. So, if you have that pain and you don't get rid of that pain by eating, so the pain remains. If the pain remains, then you're disconnected. Because if you're sitting there in pain and you're not eating, you're disconnected. But you're more disconnected if you stop eating so much that you're not hungry anymore. Because if you're not hungry anymore, the whole reason Hashem created food was so that He should give you this little teeny pain that you're hungry, and then He's going to give you the food to make sure that you're not hungry. But if you keep not eating, you keep not eating, you keep not eating, then all of a sudden you're not hungry anymore. If you're not hungry anymore, then you don't have that pain to connect. If you don't have that pain to connect, you don't need food. So all of a sudden you don't stop eating. Because the whole reason for food is to take care of that pain that Hashem has to give you, that little pain. But if you don't have the pain, you're not hungry anymore because you, sh- you shrunk your stomach. You're not hungry. I'm not hungry. I'm dealing with girls. They're, not, they're really not hungry. I'm like, eat this little chocolate bar. I'm not hungry, Rabbi. I'm really not hungry. They're not hungry. So if they're not hungry, the taka don't need food. Because the whole reason Hashem created food was to take away that pain so you could be connected to Hashem. And sometimes that leads to causing more pain to your body in other ways. Because the body needs to have a little pain. And if you're not going to have the pain of hunger, and you're not going to satisfy by eating the chas there's a thing called, I don't have to tell you, I'm sure somebody ever here, the thing called cutting. And cutting is causing pain to your body. Why would a person cut their body? I know there's a lot of psychology on it, and whatever their reasons is, that's not where I'm coming from. I'm not a psychology teacher. Why would someone cause pain to their body? You know why? Because the neshama needs a little pain to get close to Hashem. So if you don't have the pain of hunger, which is a present that Hashem's giving you, so that you should eat, and you don't have that anymore, so then you're looking for other ways to cause pain. And then chas v'shalom, chas v'shalom, if it isn't treated and straightened out, the ultimate pain. Which I don't even want to say out of my mouth. It's an understanding of what's really going on. Now, what happens if you satisfy that pain and you eat more? I'm not hungry anymore, but I'm stuffing my face. That's called taiva. Why is that called taiva? It's called lust. Why is that called lust? I, I want to eat potato chips and popcorn and chocolate and a milkshake and this and that. I'm not hungry. I'm just stuffing and I'm stuffing and I'm stuffing myself. That's called taiva because you don't need that. That's not why Hashem gave food to people. Hashem gave food to people to satisfy the smallest pain that's called hunger which Hashem gave us the medicine for already. So once the hunger is fulfilled, why are you still stuffing your body? That's already not to be connected to Hashem. That's already just being connected maybe to the other side. Because the whole reason for food is to satisfy that hunger. And any nutritionist will tell you that they get paid a lot of money. will tell you exactly what I'm telling you. Don't eat unless you're hungry. The best thing for your body. Don't eat unless you're hungry. Why? Why is that the best thing for your body? Maybe it's very good for your body to stuff your face. Chocolate bars and all this stuff. Maybe that's what's good for your body. And the answer is it can't be. Because the whole reason Hashem gave us hunger is to satisfy that hunger. To be connected to Him. Once the hunger is satisfied, why are you still eating? 
And that goes into a whole different subject. Ben Sairamaira. Ben Sairamaira is a guy who eats a certain amount of meat and drinks a certain amount of wine. He's called the Ben Sairamaira. And he's Chayev Misa in the end. We, Bokshan, we never had one. But what's the whole thing of Ben Sairamaira? Eating meat, drinking wine. And the answer is because he's already not connected anymore. He, he, he's full. Why you, why you keep eating? Why do you keep drinking? So, I'm not giving you a cure for this. I'm just trying to give you an understanding of maybe where it comes from. And it's a lot of work, and I'm not saying it's not a lot of work. Maybe we need to, you know, to think about what food is really in this world for. Food is in this world, according to what he's saying, to quell that little pain that you have, that Hashem gave you as a present to connect him to you. But he's like, he's like, I don't even know how to explain it. I was trying to figure out a muscle. He's like taking a kid and, 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 and twisting his finger a little bit in order to give him a car. You understand? He's, he's making you hungry in order that you have all these delicious things to eat. So, so the pain is there really to get to the fruit, to get to the food. Because if you weren't hungry, then you wouldn't get to the food and then there's no, there's no connection to HaKadosh Baruch Hu through the food. So, the, so hunger is good. Hunger is a good thing. It's a connection to Hashem. Baruch Hashem, that's the pain. I'm hoping that's what Rav Nachman says. That's the pain. That, I'm not gonna, that Hashem doesn't give us pain every day. But it just makes us hungry because we're humans and humans are hungry. So we have what's called pangs of hunger. Interesting word. It's called pangs of hunger. It's pain. So if we get close to HaKash Baruch and we understand the deepness of food and that it's connecting me to Hashem, then maybe we can overcome some of that eating disorder. And understanding that I need to eat a little bit so that I, so that I do get hungry, that my stomach doesn't disappear. And I do get hungry and then through that hunger eat a little bit more just till I'm satisfied. I don't even have to sit there and gorge yourself so that I'm connected to HaKash Baruch Hu, and we make a bracha rishona and we make a bracha achrona. And this is my own little thing that came to me when I was preparing this year. Bracha rishona, bracha achrona. Why? Bracha rishona is because I'm hungry. Bracha achrona is after I ate. I'm thanking Hashem that I'm hungry. I'm making a boy for your eights because I make that bracha before I eat. So right now I'm hungry. Thank you Hashem that I'm hungry because if I wasn't hungry then I couldn't eat this apple. My pain is that I'm hungry. Now I can eat this apple. Delicious. Then thank you Hashem. It's a two-part thing. The hunger is a bracha. Being hungry is a bracha. Girls, it's a bracha that we take for granted. Being thirsty is a bracha. A person that's on, that's, that's never on chemo, right? They lose a lot of weight because they're nauseous. When they're nauseous, they're not hungry. They lose a lot of weight. It's one of the things of that disease. They lose a lot of weight because they're not hungry. So if you're hungry, it means you're healthy, not that you're sick. If a person's hungry, you're healthy. Make a bracha, boy priyayat, boy priyadama, shahakal the borrow want a glass of water. Because right now I'm thirsty. And if I'm thirsty, that's a good thing. Because Hashem gave me something to drink. Again, I'm not telling you that, that I'm right. I'm just telling you what I got from what Rav Nachman said. I could be totally wrong what I'm saying. I hope Hashem gave me the right words in the Siyat that I'm, that, I'm, that I'm saying the right thing. Okay, so I just want to end. I want to end with... What's with the batteries here today? Okay, okay. A little bit on, on this week's posture so you can take something home and speak at the table and make sure everybody falls asleep. Okay, whatever. <laughs> Wherever you are out there, that wasn't a nice thing you wrote about me. Okay. And please do not go, do not go to see what I'm talking about. <laughs> I'm like, oh, we're going to go home and go on Facebook. Look what he did. Uh, that's not, trust me, I'm not lying to you. Okay.
So just very, very fast. This week's Pasha is Pasha's Korach. Korach, we know, had a big fight with Moshe Rabbeinu. Korach said that he, he believed that Kulam Kedoshim, that we're all holy. That was his taina. We're all holy. Which sounds like a very great thing. If I would come into this room and tell you, girls, we're all holy. We're all equal. We're all tzaddikim. Say, wow, that's cool. I've lost and we like you. That's great. It was the worst thing that Korach could have ever said. But, you know, the poison is in the apple. You all know the story, right? With the seven dwarves. She didn't give her a, a spoon of poison. She put it in the apple. It's always, the poison is always hidden in the delicious looking thing. So the statement that Korach said, Kulam Kedoshim, that we're all holy, sounds like a very nice statement. But what was he saying? He was saying, we're all holy. We can all pask in our own halachas. We're all rabbis. We're all rabbitsons. And when he said that, what happened was, all the people said, right, who said Moshe Rabbeinu should be the leader? Who said Aaron should be the Kohen Gadol? I'm just as holy. I can make my own halachas up, my own halachas that I want to do. And in the end, what happened? Korach was destroyed, his children, the babies, which never get punished for their parents, was destroyed, was swallowed up into the earth. So I want to tell you a, a Gilgal story that's amazing. We'll end with this. Who was Korach? And who was Moshe? Now, I don't have time because I went off the subject tonight, but it got to a point that the wife of Korach said so much lush and horror about Moshe Rabbeinu that she said that Moshe Rabbeinu is doing very big, bad averos with the women of Klai Yisrael. He's one of these guys going around from tent to tent. This is what she said. And he's doing, he's doing averos. How did this whole thing start? They said Moshe Rabbeinu was with an Ashes Ish. He committed adultery with a married woman. Now, I don't care how much of a Baal Lush and Hari you are. No one in this room, I don't care who says it, is going to believe that Moshe Rabbeinu committed adultery. Get out of my house. What are you talking about? It says that it got to, to a point where Klai Yisrael believed it so much that when Moshe Rabbeinu would go past the tent, they would make their wives go inside. Oh, here he comes, the adulterer. You understand what he went through, Moshe Rabbeinu? Now, how did it get to such a point? To tell you the power of Lashonara and how this happened. Okay. Moshe Rabbeinu was the Gilgal. Sefer Gilgul, let me bring this down. Moshe Rabbeinu was the Gilgal of Hevel. Korach was the Gilgal of Cain. Okay? These were two brothers that we know didn't get along too well. Okay. Now, if you look in the Chumash, it's amazing. Amazing. If you look in the Chumash... By Cain and Havel. Okay. Now we know that to do tshuva, and that's why we're all here to come back in our Gilgul and do a tikkun, you have to be put in the same position, in the same place you did the last Avero, same place, with the same person, in the same position, in the same, all, all the, the atmosphere, everything that, that, that led up to that other Avero has to be in the exact same place, and you have to overcome it, and if you will overcome it, you're masaking. You fixed it. Okay. Now, let's take a look at, at, Kai, at, at um, Moshe and Korach. And Cain and Hevel. What was the whole problem with Cain and Hevel? Cain, Hevel brought a carbon from his best animals and the smoke went straight up. Cain brought a carbon from his worst vegetables and it didn't go up. So Cain became jealous of Hevel. And the measure said because Hevel was considered the Kohen Gadol, because his carbon was accepted. Cain's carbon was not accepted. And Cain could not get past that his brother was considered 
The Kohen Gadol, and he wasn't, and he killed him. What's the whole fight over here between Moshe Rabbeinu and Korach? The whole fight is, Korach says, I should be Kohen Gadol, not Aaron. You picked him because he's your brother. Same fight, same jealousy. Okay. Number two. Where did this happen? Where did this fight happen? If you look, this is amazing. This is brought down in Amas Chaim. When I learned this, I learned this many years ago. Wherever I say this, it's like people go crazy. You, you got to hear what happened over here. So, so he kills him. Vayargehu, right? Vayom Hashem al Kayin. Hashem says, "Where is Kayin? Because Hashem doesn't believe. In, and where, where is Hevel? Doesn't believe in attacking." People who do things wrong, he, they give, he always gives you a chance. Not like the teacher, you know, why'd you do this? Why'd you do that? Hashem said to, to Adam, where are you? Why are you hiding? He didn't say, I know you ate from the eight that. He let him admit it. We don't accuse people. We learn from God. Don't accuse anyone. Let them come and they'll tell you what they did. So here, Hashem knew that Cain killed Havel. He says, where's, where's Havel? Where is he? He didn't answer. He answered Hashem pretty fresh. When Hashem said, Where is Hevel? So Kain said, I don't know where he is. He just killed him. I don't know where he is. The famous words, What am I, my brother's keeper? I have to know where he is. Where am I, his babysitter? That's how he answered Hashem. Very nice. Okay. So Hashem realized he's not coming up with the truth. And he said, What did you do? The blood of your brother is crying to me from the ground. You are going to be cursed from the land that opened its mouth. The earth opened its mouth to take the blood of your brother. This week's parasha. And the earth opened its mouth to swallow Korach Va'adasa. Now, how do we know that it was the same mouth of the earth? Mishnah and Perkeavos. Ten things, I think it's in Perkei. It is in Perkei. Ten things were created, Ben Hashmashos, Erev Shabbos. Pi ha'oretz. Pi ha'asam. One mouth, the earth has one mouth, was created ben ha'shmashos. Therefore, if it passes voracious by Cain and Hevel, it says that the earth opened up its mouth and it swallowed the blood of, of Hevel. And here it passes Korach, it says the earth opened up its mouth and it swallowed Korach. It has to be the same mouth because the Mishra Pekka says there is only one mouth. Which means that Korach's test of being jealous was in the exact same spot that the test was last time, in the mouth of the earth. Exact same place, exact same test. And what, what, what was his punishment? What was Korach's punishment? Mida keneged mida. You came back, you had your second chance, you're Kayin. What was his punishment? Anyone know what his punishment was? He was swallowed up, and forever and ever... From the mouth of the earth, from underneath the earth, he will be, always say, Moshe Emes v'Tarasa Emes. What did he do over here? That 
Your brother, the earth, swallowed up his blood. So now, Korach, your, your punishment is you're going to be swallowed up in the same earth that swallowed up Hevel's blood, which was Moshe Rabbeinu, which you failed again to fix. So now, what is your punishment? Your punishment is what you did to Hevel. Hevel, the earth, swallowed up his blood, so now the earth is going to swallow you up. That is Gilgal. That is Tikkun. Same spot. Same problem. And Korach failed. And he was swallowed up and everybody was lost. We are all going to be put in that position. Every person that's in this room, we're all here to be massacring some. Something we did last time, we're going to be in the same spot with the same situation. And it's going to be the hardest situation in your life to overcome. And when that happens, put it in the back of your mind. Rabbi Walston gave a speech on it. This is my tikkun. This is it. Do I want to be swallowed up in the earth or do I want to fix it? If Korach would have fixed it, he might have been bigger than anybody that ever lived. The Gemara says Korach was, Korach was huge. So my bracha to everyone is, the biggest pain in your life should be that you're hungry. That's Lacharava. When you say that... You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.